with me silencing you <laughs> literally you know those those white feminists that's <laughs> there's anything they're good for us the silencing it's telling black women to be quiet sorry <laughs> joanna i no. really welcome you to be here i'm so happy that you're here i am really happy to be here too I'm so i excited. feel like our whole friendship has kind of led <laughs> to this moment <laughs> <laughs> on um, one level or another, having you on Feminist Hot Dog, it means a lot to me. And you know, now that you say that, I, you know, I can see some moments where it's like, this is going to make a great podcast conversation <laughs> <laughs> later on. So I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited that you have a podcast that you asked me to be a guest on it. And yeah, I'm excited for where, where tonight's going to go. Wherever the night goes. Uh, I am also very, very excited. I also, for the for the listeners who are not currently in this room, I'd like to describe the microphone stand that we've constructed, <laughs> which is a cardboard box with a towel over it <laughs> and two microphones. And I just think that it is a beautiful testimony to the innovation of women who yes. are determined to make podcasts and make their voices heard no matter what. Listen, we're not going to let the lack of <laughs> mic stands <laughs> detour us tonight. We're going to make this box and this towel work. That's right. Yeah, exactly. like women do. Necessity is the motherhood of invention. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, with that, welcome, welcome everybody. This is Feminist Hot Dog. I'm here with the incomparable Joanna. <laughs> yes. And... I am so thrilled that you're here, and I just want to start off with talking, let's talk about you a little oh, bit. Okay. I, you know, I feel like um, guests are the, the secret sauce of the show, mm -hmm. secret ingredients. <laughs> I can prattle on for a long, long time about a lot of things, but I think um, I think that it's our friendships and our connections that really kind of boost us and make us um, who we are. So who are you? Joanna, oh, tell us. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm I'm so happy to be on the show tonight. I may have already said that about a million times since I saw you today. Uh, but yeah, um, who am I? I'm Joanna. I'm a writer, uh, first and foremost. So that can be mean many things to many people, but I love to write fiction, so I'm like a creative writer. Um, short stories to be specific. Um, also, like to dabble in nonfiction. I've written some pieces for you that you've read and edited, and and love. <laughs> and um, I'm also like making my way into cultural criticism too, because I have a lot of thoughts about the world. And that's why you're here. <laughs> I do remember you though saying on the first episode that we're not gonna like really talk too much about. The current administration mm, and going that, that and that you know I really I really like this idea of a cultural survival podcast and I don't know yes. if you coined that term um, or not. I'm if, trademarking <laughs> it tomorrow, but I, I love it. I love it, and I think of this time that we're living in and the environment. Um, we do need to survive it, and um, we do need to survive this culture. And so, if we can do that through this podcast, I'm all for it. Uh, we can we can talk about the administration if you want, but I do remember you saying that. I don't, but I I was thinking about you and me in particular being in conversation tonight, mm. and how it was going to be hard for us to <laughs> stay on the um, to stay on the upside and the yes. uplift because we tend to get like we tend to get pretty pretty down and deep into what's happening in the world and certainly this particular week with the erasure of trans people mm. and also I get like fucking people having pipe bombs mailed to them <laughs> like oh Care my god waters? like what the hell is going on <laughs> yeah. been, it's been a lot it's been a lot yeah, so I think it's fine to acknowledge that it's been a lot it, it has been a lot and you know like you said like first and foremost the erasure of our trans family has definitely weighed on a lot of people. Um, then you have, you know, someone or some group out there trying to take out, like, the entire Democratic leadership. <laughs> uh, Democratic and Party. And Robert De Niro. <laughs> yeah, and Robert De Niro, too, because just <laughs> throw him in there. 
Um, and yeah, that's a lot to contend with. And uh, as of right now, they don't even know if all the um, bombs have reached their destinations or who's done it. And yeah, and there's other things too, like you know, placing soldiers at the southern border. And um, yeah, we can go down the drain. And you know, Megyn Kelly being <laughs> her, her Megyn Kelly, getting yeah. Fired yet paid seventy million dollars. You know, yeah. you, should just, you should stop right there because Megyn Kelly's name being uttered on feminist hot dogs. Yeah, blasphemy. Yeah, it might make the mic explode. Like this whole this whole box, <laughs> <The> box. that's <laughs> this box that's holding up the mic is gonna catch Joanna, on fire. Think of the box. I feel like you're being really really reckless with this beautiful. Think of the mic stand. Mic stand we've created. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we've brought ourselves back from whatever <laughs> near uh, catastrophe just just occurred. We're back in feminist hot dog land. We're going to make ourselves feel better. We're going to make our feminist hearts sing. Yes. And um, I'd like to start off, if you don't mind. Yes, please do. With what made my feminist heart sing. You have the week. floor. Okay. So what made my feminist heart sing this week is that a coven of witches gathered in Brooklyn to put a hex on Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this <is> real? <laughs> this happened? Yes. Oh, yes. It absolutely happened. <laughs> oh. Um, it happened last weekend. Tell me more. As, <laughs> as reported by The Guardian. Ooh, you know it's real then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're credible. So, uh... This happened at a bookstore called Catland Books, and it is Brooklyn's premier metaphysical boutique and event space, and they have held similar ceremonies, um, apparently put hexes on Donald Trump in the past and maybe some other unpopular fellows. So the, uh, I, I think the owner or the store organizer whose name is, I'm going to probably murder the pronunciation, but Dakota Bracciale um, says that the store also engages in traditional protests and voter registration drives, but that using the language of the occult has been more effective to riling up opponents. I wonder why. Um, she says, we don't subscribe to this bullshit, pacifist, love and light, everybody just get along thing. If you want to hijack the country, if you want to steal the election, if you want to overturn Roe versus Wade, if you want to harm people who are queer, well, guess what? We're not doing civility. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So yes. I'm, I'm wow. here for that. Um, wow. So there are actually two rituals that are going or that occurred. Um, one is specifically about putting a hex on Kavanaugh, and the second one, which was created by um, Bacciale is about welcoming rage. Um, and she says, it's saying that constant absolute pacifism only leads to you getting harassed more. Sometimes there has to be allowance for rage as your ally, mm. which is really interesting to me because I do think that I come from a background that really has privileged the idea of pacifism and turning the other cheek. Mm. But I'm quite intrigued by this. I. I'm going to also bring in Charmed again. <laughs> Shout out to Charmed. I don't know if you've they have to be been a watching Charmed, but I do think that um, Charmed also does um, does a good job of, of creating some room for the power of emotion in terms mm. of emotion, the relationship between emotion and efficacy and for emotion sure, for sure. and agency, um, which I think is great. Uh, so, Joanna, what made your feminist heart sing this week? Yeah, so um, as you know, it's been a really, really uh, hard week for our trans and gender nonconforming family. Um, you know, this administration is really hell-bent on trying to erase their existence. Um, and I think many leaders in that community have been vocal about uh, the work that lies ahead as they combat this administration. But um, one thing that made my Feminist Heart Sing was um, this person out in St. Louis. Their name is 
J. Marie Hill, and they are the trans and gender nonconforming, um, oh, excuse me, excuse me. They are the trans, and educa trans education and advocacy program manager at the ACLU in Missouri. And um, what they did was they created a toolkit for trans allies to use. And I am just in completely in love with this toolkit. I'm captivated and I've been reading through it ever since it was released um, earlier this week. And the toolkit that um, J. Marie Hill created covers seven key areas for allies um, of trans and gender nonconforming folks, and that's um, showing up in public spaces, in the workplace, in healthcare, in education, in faith spaces, um, with your parents and families, and um, how you can support black and people of color who are trans and gender nonconforming. And you know, um, there's there's a lot of toolkits out there. There's a lot of different syllabi um, that you can use to educate yourself when there are current events happening, or um, you want to learn more about marginalized communities. And I was trying to, I was thinking, I was like, what is it about this toolkit that captivates me and um, inspires me so much? And I think one of the things is is it it pulls in some really um, impactful antidotes from other trans and gender nonconforming people that just really just spoke to me and it made my, my feminist heart sing. And in the toolkit, uh, there's one person who um, talks about what happened when their um, ninth grade teacher showed up for them at school. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it. It says, one teacher I had in ninth grade, Miss Nichols, I was thinking of committing suicide, but one day I noticed these trans signs on her room, in her room. So I figured I could talk to her. I told her I was trans. She was so kind and it changed everything. She let me change my name in the classroom and even spoke up, to me, up for me to other teachers. She was there when I couldn't talk to my parents or anyone. Things only got better as the school year went on thanks to her. Ms. Nichols seriously saved my life. Miss Nichols, <laughs> oh my right? God. And I just, you know, I think people really do underestimate the power of showing up for others. And um, right now, our trans and gender nonconforming family needs us to show up for them in many, many ways. And when I read uh, how Miss Nichols showed up for that student, Andrew, I was just blown away, you know, what a sign on the door could do and when mm -hmm. someone opens up to you and how you can um, defend them and uh, respect them in public and how that can impact their lives, right? And yeah, and the, the, the toolkit has some other antidotes too. It has one from another person and it says, as a non-binary person being forced to choose between a male or female bathroom is another reminder that my community does not recognize the danger that, represent, that represents for me. When I do find a local business with gender neutral bathrooms, I deeply appreciate it. It's a simple way to help me be and feel safe from harassment and a wonderful symbol that folks like me are welcome there, mm. right? And you know, you think about as we move through our lives, um, all the things we take for granted. And for many trans and gender nonconforming people, they, they don't get to take for granted those things because they don't have them. And I think creating space and opening the doors for them is um, one thing to validate their humanity. And um, as a cisgendered person, I am just, yeah, I am really keen on showing up for uh, my trans family and this toolkit gave me some really, really helpful um, advice on how I can do that in a variety of ways. And so, yeah, this, J. Marie Hill, you made my feminist heart sing this week. I love that story. And the story about Miss Nichols, like, got, I, it gave me a little lump in my throat. It was like a very happy um, lump because what a great story, but at the same time, what a what a world where just even recognizing somebody's identity and affirming their humanity is the difference between them choosing to not commit suicide. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. that is such a powerful message. Um, so yeah, I, I love the idea of using feminist hot dog to get this toolkit out to, um, 
all 20 of our our twitter <laughs> followers that we hopefully have right more now. after this hopefully more. And, and one more thing i think is when we think of showing up a lot of people think of like in moments where there's a lot of heat or distress, right. mm-hmm. um, it's like, okay, I, I can't be a bystander anymore. I got to show up. And a lot of these stories, it, it was simple things like, you know, having a sign on your door or making another bathroom for trans folks um, that made them feel validated and whole. And I think people should remember that, right? Like, it's the little things, too. And um, just as you're moving throughout your life, you know, you think about those little things that mm-hmm. you can do. Um, and the talk is great. Well, thank you. That was very inspiring. My feminist heart is singing too. <laughs> um, okay, so we're gonna move on yes. to the advice portion of our show. Mm. And I have a little bit of a follow-up to the the first episode where we were talking about, you've heard the first episode. Yes, where we talked about, the woman who took the the ill-fated lift ride. Yeah, that was intense. With the guy who, I don't know, he had a lot of problems. Uh, yeah. With, to say. with everybody. <laughs> yeah. But they became her problems because she was in his car. So um, I did, as I mentioned on the first episode, I, I contacted Lyft about that issue and just asked them because the woman who wrote the letter was very concerned about reporting the incident because she didn't want her friend to be targeted by the driver. So I, I posed this question to Lyft, if the driver were reported, if, if she reported him and they followed up on it with the driver, how much information would he be given about the complaint? So I talked to um, a lovely man named Scott and he gave me the following information which I thought would be useful to uh, to our listeners. So. First of all, as soon as you conclude a ride on Lyft, all of the information is erased out of the driver's app. Oh, I didn't know that. <coughs> Including your name as the rider and also the address where you're picked up. So unless that person cataloged the drive in some other way, there would be no way for him to go back and look up who you were and, and where you had been picked up okay that's a big relief <laughs> i know i was relieved to hear that too actually i thought that was that was good second if you want if you have a bad experience with a driver you can contact lyft tell them about the you know basically identify the ride and tell them that you never want to be paired with that driver again so for example like in this case the listener was riding in a different city like not a city that she lived in she was traveling but say like for example i live in a town where there are probably like 10 total lyft and uber they all drive both lyft and uber drivers and so if i had a bad experience what the hell am i supposed to do like just cross my fingers and hope that i don't get that same person again and or you know if you don't get the random number of the exactly so I, small sample size yeah small n so i apparently with lyft have the option of calling them and saying i don't want to be paired with this driver ever again and the driver is never none the wiser so you could also go that route it's probably not relevant in her case because she was traveling but good to know um a third thing i found out is that if uh, if you have a bad experience and you want to send the details and make a formal complaint, the driver will not be told who made the complaint. The driver the driver will only know the general type of complaint, such as verbal abuse, physical abuse, etc., but not the where, when, who details of the ride. So they have a contact form on their website and on their app called the critical response contact form and you can use that to elevate this to the folks who have the power to do something in terms of intervening with the driver. If you ever feel unsafe during a ride, he told me, you can cancel the ride and tell the driver to drop you off immediately and Lyft will reimburse you for the cost of that ride. It might take a minute, but if you explain to them what happened, they will do that. And that was another thing that I think I think that's just helpful to know from a safety perspective. Like if you're in a situation where you're like, oh, fuck, this person is really 
not a safe person and I don't feel comfortable, you can be like, hey, actually, you know what? I'm just going to get off here, cancel your ride, and then deal with it later in terms of getting your money back. So that's good to know. And finally, Lyft is in the process of deploying base, essentially kind of a panic button. I think Uber has something similar already, but I know a lot of people prefer to use Lyft over Uber for a variety of reasons. And so I don't know when it's coming, but he says it's coming. There is going to be a feature that, you know, if you're in a situation where you're like, I do not like where this is going, I think this person is out of control or dangerous, that you can press the button and uh, Lyft will deploy help to um, to you. So, anyway, wow, that's a great follow up. That's what's up. Yeah, I thought that that was that was good to know. Yeah, and I I hope the it, well one is great that Lyft has so many systems of protection mm-hmm. built into the app. I, I didn't realize half of those things. Well, I also want to say that this podcast is not underwritten by Lyft, and <laughs> I have no way endorsing Lyft. But I did because that's a you know a common thing that people use in their lives I do think that's an important safety thing for us to know about and also by way of update the I followed up with the listener and she did report it that's so um so yeah yeah I I consider that a success a successful um dear feminist hot dog outcome the first one well let's let's go for two (laughs) right now yes this is this is another kind of uh, epic long story. So give me give me a moment to get set up here to get. To get you got it. You got it. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. <sighs> okay. Dear feminist hot dog, I am an almost fifty year old woman who has spent the large majority of her sexual life as a proud and vivacious non-monogamous slut. I love how this letter (laughs) is Yes, Talk about an opening. Yes. I learned in my early 20s how important honesty and respect are in sexual relationships and have always tried to be very clear with all my partners about my disinterest in a monogamous relationship. For the past year, I have narrowed my sex life down to three lovers, all of whom are around the same age as me. I call them my trifecta to indicate how these three men are the winners in my life race for a meaningful sex life. You know what? I, I'm captivated. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Woo! Yes, I can only hope I, to be like this in my 50s. I love this woman. Okay, so a year ago, Ray messaged me on OkCupid. I check out his profile. Mm, very handsome and articulate, progressively liberal. That's important. Oh, look, he's married to the love of his life, and they are exploring polyamory. Okay. Mm. I think polyamory is weird. This is still the letter. I'm not not (laughs) injecting myself (laughs) yet. Um, I think polyamory is weird. I can never quite figure it out. Isn't it just non-monogamy with a fancy name? Mm. Oh, who cares? He seems sexy, smart, and similar in worldview. Done. We meet, hit it off, and begin a wonderful relationship. Aww. I actually like hearing him talk about his wife because it reminds me that he is not going to fall in love with me and because she seems like a badass feminist written in all caps, which I also love. They, Ray and his wife, are using both a poly coach and a poly counselor. So, pause. Did you know that such things existed in the world? The the poly counselors, yes. The poly coach, I did not. I'm intrigued, though. I would love to know like what that job description looks like. I ha- these are both new new to me. <laughs> I'm also intrigued, and I also wonder like, you know, those uh, aptitude tests that you take in <laughs> high school. Do they ever like show up with like? Poly coach, poly as coach like is your ideal <laughs> career <laughs> outcome. What you're you're best suited for. <laughs> you know what? You know, if it's if that's not on um those aptitude tests, I, I want to create a updated aptitude test that is more for more the twenty first century. And poly coaches I think are needed. Absolutely. It's, it's a more it's more common these well, days. They're clearly needed based on this letter. <laughs> I will, I'm just gonna say uh 
They yes, they may have needed to consult their coach. Uh, okay, before, I'm ready for what comes next. I'm ready. I'm ready to hear what comes next. Ooh, okay, <laughs> buckle your seatbelts. Um, they are using both a poly coach and a poly counselor to create boundaries that allow them both to have other meaningful sexual relationships while still giving their marriage the attention it needs. Because polyamory is new to them, these boundaries shift regularly, still shifting after a year. I roll with all the changes, but have been consistent about my perspective, my lens from the get-go. One, there is a difference between being in love and loving. Ray and I will never be in love. Two, there is a power dynamic to this relationship. Ray and his wife hold all the power, get to set all the boundaries. This is not only okay with me, but also something that makes me feel comfortable. Ray's wife sounds like someone I'd love, but I will never be able to get to know her while continuing this relationship with him. I would prefer to never meet her, but just get to know her through his eyes. Okay. Are you with me, Joanna? I am with you. Are you ready for the, for the next chapter? Okay. So you ask, Joanna, how could this lovely relationship go sideways? Well, the wife wants to meet me. Ugh, oh shit. Oh shit. <laughs> Wants to get me know get to know me as a person. After months of conversation with Ray about this, sharing all of my hesitations, which he always understands, <laughs> okay. I finally relent. But I decided that there was a tactic I could employ as a compromise. That would allow me self-care in continuing a relationship with Ray while honoring his wife's request to get to know me. I would restrain myself in getting to know her by withholding my curious nature during our meeting. I would be open and conversational about me but would not ask questions about her. I thought I'd write a letter to her to explain it. I share this idea with Ray and he welcomes the letter but when I give it to him he re and he reads it, he says that me saying I will not bring my curious nature to the meeting with his wife will sound harsh to her. We discuss this for an hour before he suggests that we get naked in the bedroom. <laughs> Ray, I need you to focus, okay? Like, I am trying to... <laughs> I think you might need to call your poly coach, Ray. Ray obviously has... Yeah, he has some issues with focusing on the big picture because okay. it's, it's not sexy time, Ray. No. I'm trying to talk to you about how I'm going to meet your wife. That's right. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, man. We have two great hours of sex <laughs> with a couple of intermissions, a friendly, open, and rich talk about life. He takes the letter and shares it with his wife. The next day, I get a shaming text message where he basically says that my perspective is a complete and ultimate rejection of his wife as a person in his life. What? And he cannot continue a relationship with me. Wait, hold on. I responded, and we have shared a number of exchanges around this. I think he is open to trying to find a way to move forward with me in his life. Oh, he's open? <laughs> I'm, not sure that, I'm not sure that he's the one who should be. Okay, I'm just going to finish, then we'll talk about it. Uh, but I'm not sure that I can. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure that you can either. I feel very betrayed, and I'm not sure Ray has the skill set necessary to take care of a third person in their relationship. Regardless of whether I decide to continue with him or not, my ultimate question is twofold. One, is there a way I could have better balanced my authentic self with Ray's wife's desire to get to know me? And two, as the secondary in a relationship with a poly man, where is my responsibility to stretch my own feelings and boundaries to try to better align with those of the primary couple? Ooh, Joanna, Jeez. girl, I need your help <laughs> on this. Because honestly, okay, I'm just going to be, I, I try to think of myself as like a very open-minded, sex-positive person who believes that there are lots of ways to be in relationships, both monogamous and non-monogamous, and that boundaries and communication and honesty are the ingredients that can make those things work like yes. theoretically i believe all of that but when it comes down to it do i believe that polyamory works i i don't think i've seen like a ton of evidence of that it certainly wouldn't work for me but i'm special in that right. particular way i'm in, and by special i mean 
getting back to that rage thing we talked about <laughs> earlier, there might be some jealousy living inside the old feminist hot dog. So yeah, wouldn't work for me. I'd like to sound supportive um, of the writer of this letter, the secondary. Yeah. But I think my off the bat, off the cuff thoughts are like, this, this ain't going to work. But what do you think? Wow, that was <laughs> intense. Um, well, I, I, you know, I feel for the writer of the letter because, you know, to be like, she was really upfront about how she felt about all of this, right? She knew it was going to be difficult to, one, meet the wife. And then when, um, you know, she expressed that she was open to it and she tried to set some boundaries around that, she was pretty much shut down by Ray. One, he didn't, he couldn't focus. <laughs> she brought it up. He wanted to just fuck. Uh-huh. And then when um, she did share the letter with him, he went and shared it with his wife and then turned around and got broken up with. So I definitely feel for her. And I, you know, I don't think she did anything wrong in this. You know, she, she set her boundaries. She told him what her limitations was. And, you know, by the sounds of it, the letter wasn't, terrible right she she says she's going to try to rein in her curiosities i i'm i'm really side-eyeing ray and his his wife on this one well i i agree with you that the question the answer to question number one is there a way i could have better balanced my authentic self no it sounds like you were very authentic and consistent over a period of months about your boundaries and they continuously pushed your boundaries to the point where you had to find a way to meet their needs without compromising yourself, and then that wasn't good enough. It wasn't. So they, they were looking for something that you were never able to give. You knew you were never able to give it, and were clear about that, and they asked for it anyway, and then got mad at you for not being able to give it. Right? Yeah. Is that how you read that? Essentially, right. That's That's basically what happened. So... I don't I don't think you you did anything wrong. Um I'm not sure what your name is, but yeah, I We should I have given know. her a good name. <laughs> what would it we can we can do it now. Well, how about um proud and vivacious non-monogamous slut cuz that again is like the greatest Shit. the greatest like owning <laughs> self like proclaiming opening to a letter ever. So what about question two? As the secondary in a relationship with a poly man, where is my responsibility to stretch my own feelings and boundaries to try to better align with those of the primary couple? Well, okay, I'm going to start by saying that I am no poly whiz. <laughs> you know, I... You're not a poly coach? Yeah, I, I'm not. That wasn't <laughs> what I scored on my aptitude test, unfortunately, because it could be fun. Sounds like it could be I fun. I wonder if there's money in that. Right, right. And I, I understand the concept of mono- um, polyamory and, you know, this idea around ethnical monogamy. Um, but do am I well completely well-versed in it? No, I'm not. But I do want to say, in my own opinions, this, this phrase about, like, allow, aligning your feelings and boundaries to, with those of the primary couple, there's something about that just kind of like rubs me the wrong way because your feelings and your boundaries are your own. Mm. You don't have to align them with the couple, right? You, you set those boundaries and it's up to them to decide whether they can respect them or if it's too much. And if it's too much, then they can see the door. And if they can't respect it, like let's, let's get it going back in that bedroom, Roy. But I mean, <laughs> Ray, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I don't really like that framing. I think all we can do as human beings in relationships with other human beings is set our boundaries. And um, it's up to them to decide if they can respect that or not. I agree. I think um, I think there's a lot to be said for opening yourself to another person's perspective because your perspective might change if you sort of open your mind. But uh, And something like this, with people who are in their, like, mid to late 40s this is not a situation where she just needed to open her mind her mind is pretty fucking open at this point she's (laughs) like i've got three lovers this is badass i want to fuck all these guys and have (laughs) this trifecta like 
those are my boundaries and I don't need to know I need I don't need to know your wife man and if she can't handle that or you can't handle that then goodbye I mean I don't know that's that's kind of where I'm right. and but also like be honest that that's where you're at because you're you're imposing your boundary on me I'm not comfortable with it and I'm responding with my own boundary so don't come at me and tell me that that means that I'm rejecting you as a person mm. because this has been going on for like a year. Yeah. So that also, I think, I, I would feel really betrayed, I think, if I were her at this point, especially since she told him what she was going to say in the letter and then they fucked for two hours. Like, that seems, I don't like that. Yeah, you know, I, I really feel for her right now because... Yeah, I, I can't see what she did wrong. I, she she was upfront, and when you're in a relationship with someone, or you know, someone who's in a relationship with someone else, um, you have to communicate, right? Communication is paramount, and especially when you're in a poly relationship, everyone has to be communicating first and foremost. And that's what she did. She told them, "I'm not comfortable with meeting your wife. Like this is a lot for me, and I'm I'm just here for you." and to, to fuck and <laughs> you know and she was upfront and real about that and he was the one who pushed it and when she pushed back and told him that okay I'll meet your wife but it's under these conditions obviously that was too much for him so I just want to say shout out to you shout out to you non-monogamous slut <laughs> and um I know it hurts to be um broken up with and rejected but I think there's a lot to be said and a lot um like hold your head up high knowing that you 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 did what you you have to do and you was real I agree um I can't think of anything you could have done differently and frankly I'd find it very hard to continue in that relationship knowing that there is this level of willingness to kind of have a double standard about boundaries and mm. uh, yeah and respect for even you know even given that the primary couple is the most has the most power, that doesn't mean that the people, even if you've willingly given away some of your power in that situation, that doesn't mean that you should be disrespected. Right. Right. I think that's, I think that's the answer. That's the answer, that you deserve that's respect. That's the answer. <laughs> There's no other possible answer. <laughs> that's the one. Um, no, obviously it's not the one. I would love to hear from folks who have more experience with polyamory than, well, I have none. I don't know. Joanna, you don't have to say. But <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> um, but, I mean, what the vibe I'm getting from this letter is that this is someone who is, knows herself, knows the landscape of this situation pretty well, did everything right, and still got burned. So, um, you know, maybe the poly coach needs to, go get some professional development or something. <laughs> yeah, let's, I, w I would be curious to hear what the poly coach had to say. <laughs> um, okay. Yes. So we're going to move on. We're going to talk about the Hot Dog Hall of Fame, Woo! which I, is becoming my favorite part of, well, this is only episode two, so maybe it's a bit <laughs> premature to say it's my favorite part of the podcast, but it's the one that I kind of like take the most joy in thinking about because, I don't know, I just love the idea of being able to like bust open a website full of like people you've never heard of but who have done this like badass shit. Like I just, right. I just want, I want that. Yeah. So um, what do you think, Joanna? You want to? You want to take the first in you want to take the first induction? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, for my um hot, hot dog hall of fame, it's actually not one person, it's a group of people. Um I love it. Yes, and it's a group of young black girls. Um and what it is is um you know, there's a book out that it just came out this year. It's called A Girl Stands at the Door, The Generation of Young Women Who Desegregated Schools. It's by Rachel Devlin. It was published this year by Basic Books. And really, it talks about how the school desegregation movement was led by young black girls. They were the ones who desegregated um, schools 
in the U.S. Oh my God! Look at that picture of little Ruby Bridges. Yeah, she's she's so cute, and I think that's the that photo is iconic. And I think when we think about school desegregation, a lot of people's minds do go to she's Ruby the face. Bridges. Yeah, yeah, she's the face. Ruby Bridges is, but she wasn't the only one who desegregated um, public schools. In fact, in case you didn't know, um, in 1850. Uh, Sarah Roberts, a five-year-old African-American girl who lived closer to several white schools than to the one designated for black students, um, became a plaintiff in the country's first school desegregation case. It was called Wait, Roberts. Wait, what year was this? 1850. Holy shit. Yeah, young black girls have been out here for a minute. Change in America. <laughs> you, um, <laughs> I want to I want to tweet that right now, but you just said it in real life, so I can't I can't highlight it and tweet that. But that oh my god, Joanna. Yeah, um, Sarah Roberts. She was a five year old black girl. She lived closer to several white schools than to the one designated for black students, and um, she became the plaintiff in the country's first school desegregation case called Roberts versus City Roberts v City of Boston. Um, of course, the Massachusetts Supreme Court sided with the city of Boston, but the, um, Sarah Roberts' efforts was later cited to support um, the separate but equal ruling in Plessy v. Ferguson, and it also shed public light on the underfunding and inadequate conditions that were um, prevalent in black schools. And um, that's just one of the people that's highlighted in this book. and. Yeah, I, I, I loved it. I, I love I love learning about all these young black girls who are out here leading this school desegregation movement. And one of the things that um, really, like, I don't know, stood out to me was that um, this, you know, in the book, uh, Rachel Devlin is really grappling with this question of, why black girls? Like, why are they the ones who are leading this school desegregation movement? And one of the reasons that uh, one of the reasons she comes up with is that black girls have a familiar, familiarity with domestic servitude and the most intimate forms of racism that give them an uncanny but collective ability to cope with white violence. Wow! Um, and as you know, that it was intense when schools were being desegregated. Like these students had to walk along the road um, with a lot of white violence, right? And um, she argues that like black girls are uniquely qualified to handle that. And you know, I dig it and I think it's true. I really want you to say more about that if you're <laughs> comfortable. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think about black women who are, black and queer women who are out here just putting their bodies and their minds on the line. They're in the streets, they're protesting, they're leading marches, they're out here voting in our elections. And I think it's because black women do hold dual identities, right? Like they, they have to deal with misogyny and racism in their everyday lives. And that, you know, that conditions you to endure um, a certain amount of strife. Mm -hmm. And so when the going gets tough, you can handle it because that's your life, right? And um, I think those young black girls were out there doing it too. Welcome the girls of, what's the name of the book? <laughs> the name of the book is A Girl Stands at the Door, the Generation of Young Women Who Desegregated America's Schools. Oh, I have so. like, I have chills right now. Welcome to all the girls who stood at the door. You yes. are welcome to the Hot Dog Hall of Fame. I don't. I'm. I'm not sure we're worthy. <laughs> that's, it, this is such. This is such a beautiful narrative. Thank you for for suggesting this. I love it. Um. Okay, I'm gonna do mine. I'm ready. So my inductee into the Hot Dog Hall of Fame is a gender non-conforming transgender woman who also has cerebral palsy and uses a motorized wheelchair. Her name is Erin Phillips, and she is the first disabled trans woman of color to be signed to Elite Modeling Agency, which is a mainstream yeah, modeling that's, that's agency. that's really big. Yeah. yeah, so. Yes. Shout out. Um so the, uh, the one of the things that I just find completely remarkable about this woman is that she's 17 years old and essentially 
use social media to tweet and Instagram her way into a modeling contract, which is <laughs> so savvy, so savvy, exactly, so savvy and so self confident. And I, I just really have a major. I don't know. If it's not a, a saying. I have a soft spot in my heart is not quite saying it strongly enough. I just I have just the, the ultimate. Um, it brings me the ultimate joy, and I have so much respect for young people who have this level of self-confidence and self-awareness to be able to say, this is who I am, this is what I want to do, and I'm going to do it. And that's mm. exactly what Aaron did. And so, and, and also, also this is not new. So Aaron um, wrote a book at age 11 wow. and has um, been, and the book is called, I'm sorry, um, at age 14, a memoir called This Kid Can Fly was published by HarperCollins. And at that time, Aaron was identifying as gender fluid and has since um, now refers to herself as a transgender woman and is able to talk about that difference and that journey of going from self-identifying as gender fluid to self-identifying as a trans woman in this way that is so at the same time so sophisticated but so simple and so beautiful and again like i just every time i like read an article about this woman i just think about like who i was at 17 years old because <laughs> of course of course i make it all about me <laughs> and i'm like i just can't even imagine having that level of vocabulary and and self-love and, and self-efficacy to be able to talk about myself and my circumstances this way. So it's, it has impressed the hell out of me. Okay, so anyway, go, moving on. Erin um, says that a common misconception about trans women, which is perpetuated by the willowy bodies seen on runways, is that their gender presentation should align to stereotypical feminine tropes. Hmm. And also that simple adjustments would help make the industry more accessible to everyone, like sewing garments in all sizes. Um, sewing garments, I, I'm just going to add this. Sewing, sewing garments in ways that um, can um, accommodate being in a wheelchair, as Aaron mm, is. Right. Um, making runways physically accessible for models with wheelchairs um, and mobility aids. Casting trans and casting trans models who aren't passable or don't conform to the gender binary, which I think is something that is is maybe kind of next level, even for people who map onto trans identity and they're like, wait a minute, but why aren't you um, shaving or removing all your hair or getting breast implants or trying to look like a girl? Like that doesn't necessarily mean that you do not identify as a woman. Like, right. And needing, like we as a society need to be able to accept those decisions as authentic expressions of identity and uh, and womanhood without casting aspersions about people's relative levels of quote-unquote quote, femininity. And I think that it's just amazing um, that she's, I mean, the levels of identity intersection that that Aaron is bringing to the surface are just like blowing my mind. Okay. I'm going to stop ranting here in a minute, but can, no, you, tell, can no. you tell I'm like, I'm smitten and Erin is also on my fantasy guest list for the show. According, <laughs> she sounds incredible. Like, I know. And wow. you can see these pictures. I mean, if there was anybody who was like, des like just, you know, destined to be a model, like the eyes, the lips, the makeup, the face, like all of it. It's She's just, it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The camera the loves her. Like, yes. The poses. It's, and um, okay, so according to Vice, Aaron points out that clothing matters to trans people in a way that cisgender people take for granted, which is also something that I, you know, I think I sort of thought that I got, but I haven't really like really thought about it in this in this context of high fashion. Um, she says the way we choose to dress as trans people directly affirms and presents our gender identities and expressions to the public in a way that is unique, it's precious and beautiful to many of us. And in another interview says, I don't want signings like mine to be a trend or a fad. I want careers for black, disabled, and trans models to be attainable and sustainable. Woo! No. 
Yo, you. I think the box caught on fire just now. <laughs> I think. It was, like, if it wasn't smoldering before, it's going down in flames for you, Aaron. We are so here for you. Yes. Welcome to the Hot Dog Hall of Fame. Welcome, Aaron. Uh, all right. Well, I think. I think that brings us to the end. What? Oh, I know man. it went so fast. What a what a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what a moment. Um, are you, so your guest number two. I would love you to be maybe I don't know guest number some other number <laughs> sometime in the future. I would love to come back. You know, um, this is my very very first podcast. Um, I was really excited to come here. I one of my favorite podcasters is Jenna Wortham from Still Processing. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh, if I could be half the woman she is, then I'm ready to go. So I'm not sure if I was successful today, but maybe on my second what go round. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, no, Joanna, you nailed it. We set the box on fire like five or six times at least. We've got amazing inductees to the Hot Dog Hall of Fame. We fixed, I think we fixed non-monogamous sluts problems mm. and i feel better about this week do you i do it's been a it's been a long week but after my feminist hot dog i'm good Woo! all right <laughs> high five i don't know if the microphones caught that but that was that was a real <laughs> high five that was not a sound effect this is so great all right thank you for being uh for being here i really appreciate it thank you for having me all right thank you all for listening love yourself love your buns Bye.